Morning, everybody. Uh, so we just sang about the great I am. We receive these uh, blue Connect cards every week. They're in your bulletin. I just wanted you to know that, and there's a sampling of some of them here, you know, behind me that we get. We gather as a staff every Tuesday, and we pray over those Connect cards. And I'm just thrilled to say that, you know, we hear about God answering prayer, and it's awesome. What you see behind me on the screen is prayers for a variety of things. Somebody having an interview for a job and wants help for that, a marriage, somebody's passing away, of course, the turmoil that's going on in our nation. The 46th Psalm says that God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. And we are in troubled times. Uh, some, I mean, we're always kind of in troubled times, aren't we? But uh, sometimes it's just more difficult. You think about what's happening right now with uh, this huge hurricane that's hit and people's lives been devastated because of that. What's happened in Haiti as a result. We uh, work with a church that's in a town that was hit very, very hard, a town called Jeremy in Haiti. And the church was completely demised. It's a pretty large church, too. Uh, I think there's over a thousand people that go to this church and are completely wiped out. They have a school. They teach uh, auto mechanics. And we sponsor them in that. And the roof was ripped off. And we've heard that uh, close to 500 people in this little town called Jeremy have died. And that's just the current count. I know the count for all of Haiti is around 800 or so. And we're praying for Haiti. We're praying for the entire East Coast. And Everything that's happened there, we're praying for what's going on in our nation and all the different cities that have been hit so hard uh, with turmoil. And it, it, breaks, it breaks God's heart, Charlotte, Orlando, San Diego, Dallas, on and on it goes. And so we thought we would just begin today uh, and pray, knowing that when we go to God, taking confidence in what the psalmist says, that God is our very present help in times of trouble and to encourage you also that when you write things down on those connect cards that actually they're just not going to outer space somewhere that we take them and pray uh, over them uh, i want to uh, also encourage you on one thing these notebooks that we have been talking about i have a notebook here these 17 cent notebooks and just writing things down there you know i i wrote something down in my notebook i wrote I wrote in there about um, a person and a specific person and that they would, uh, they would, they would change. I was a little reluctant to do it because I'm, I guess I'm too pessimistic or something, but I'm like, you know, people don't change, right? My, I wrote it anyway. And uh, I've been praying about it since, um, well, since we did these notebooks. They're very focused, you know, God help this person change, specifically how to change. And a couple weeks ago, oh my gosh, uh, this person showed true signs of change, like legitimate true signs. And, and so, of course, I was thrilled. And then what was the next thought? Ah, it's just a fluke. <laughs> that, that's not true. So, um, but then recently again, for a second time through, this person legitimately changed. It's incredible. So I want to encourage you that God is answering prayer. He's answering prayer every week along his prayer wall. We hear about things he's doing. We pray about the issues going on in your lives through the Connect Cards. And uh, we believe in a God that He's the great I Am. And during times of trouble, right, as the psalmist says, you know, when everything is shaking, the earth is shaking, that we can trust in God. And uh, we're just going to go before God now if you'll pray with me and join with me. And we're going to believe that, uh, that God's going to make some changes on a variety of issues, the things that are on the screen, the things that you're going to write down today, the stuff happening in our world. Will you pray with me? Lord, we want to thank you that you are our refuge and our strength during times of trouble. And that though the earth shakes, God, you are with us. 
Nothing is impossible for you. We can count on you. God, we're thankful that the psalmist says that you make wars cease. There's all kinds of wars going on in this world. Personal wars, in homes there's wars, in cities there's wars, in countries and nations. Everything is raging, but we're thankful, God, that we can turn to you and have confidence that you hear and that you act. Help us, Lord. Help us all to turn to you and find strength in you because you are the great I am. In Christ's name, everybody said amen. Amen. I just want to talk about uh, one thing before we read our scripture this morning. You know, I think about the disciples and the time that they spent with Jesus and all the amazing things that they saw Jesus do, right? They saw him feed 5,000 people. Some walk on water. Some do all kinds of extraordinary things. And then he dies on a cross. And then lo and behold, he rises from the dead. And then they see him ascend into heaven. You think about how, what a huge impact, right, that that had on them. So his last words in the book of Matthew, right, when he says, go, like, go, go to Jerusalem, then out beyond that, go to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the just like, go. I want you to be into going. Then you got to think, since they saw all that happen, that they would just, yes, we're going to be goers. And you know what they were? They were really into staying. <laughs> they were really into staying. So actually, they didn't leave Jerusalem. They didn't leave Jerusalem at all. They stayed. We have such a strong predisposition to stay, to become really insular. It's nothing evil about it. It's nothing bad about it. It's just the way it is. We, we're stayers. We, we're more into routine and comfort. This is just kind of who we are. And I said this last week, you know, churches that start a, a new location or start a whole brand new church are as much as eight times more effective at welcoming people in who are non-churchgoers. It's just a matter of data. It's a matter of data. That over time, even a church, even though it's a mission, it's a movement, it's a bunch of goers, right? That we become very... So church has been around for more than 10 years. 95% of the people coming through those doors, roughly 95%, are all coming from one spiritual location, a churched location, right? Churches that are less than five years old, as much as 40% of the people who walk through those doors, 40%, think about this, are coming from a multitude of locations, so our mission at Grace is to create a place that no matter where people are coming from spiritually, they can have a meaningful and significant encounter with God. Problem, we're 15 years old. <laughs> and even though our numbers are still incredible, that 40% of this community here still self-classifies as a non-churchgoer, which is amazing. Somehow we've maintained that pioneering spirit. We still feel looking at the data and looking at our mission that God's put us on. We're going to open a second location at George Mason High School, which is right next to the West Falls Church Metro. For those of you who know where that is, it's right there on the orange line. Are we leaving TJ? No. Could you say that with me? Are we leaving TJ? No, no. We're staying at TJ. We love it here. And actually, they love us to be here. And it's a great thing to be loved and wanted, isn't it? So we love it here. We're going to stay here, but we're going to start a second location. Uh, it's about a 20-minute drive from here. And so we're, we're thrilled about that. On Sunday, October the 23rd, we're going to have a meeting for anybody who wants to be on the launch team. Is it an informational meeting about everything going on with this? No. Okay. I'll be very specific. It's a meeting for anybody who, who feels 
kind of nudged by God. Somebody who has a pioneering spirit. Now, I want to do this. We have some of the most incredible stories during the first five years of this church. So if, if you like fun and excitement and a little bit of craziness, you like to be a pioneer, uh, you'll want to go to this meeting. So if you'll, with your connect card, if you'll legibly write it out, hey, tell me all about it. Give me a way to connect you, an email address or something. We'd like to contact you October 23rd. We're going to have a big meeting about that. We really encourage you. Maybe even, maybe even right now you want to take out your bulletin if you feel nudged so you don't, you don't forget about it and just write it down. Put it into the black boxes, the offering boxes on your way out. Okay. So, uh, Q is going to come out and uh, read for us this morning. We're having an all Channel 7 Newsday. Q's from Channel 7. Tom Rousey in the second service, Channel 7. Channel 7's taking over today. Thank you very much, Q, for reading. Appreciate no it, man. Everybody say hi, Q. Good morning, everybody. Hope you're having a blessed morning. Uh, this morning's reading is from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, verses 20 through 22 through 26. Um, So what do people get in this life for all of their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. It is all meaningless. So I decided there is nothing better to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. All right, everybody, we're talking about passion this morning. Who would have ever imagined that Snoop Dogg would have a passion for doing nature videos? I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have seen that, but apparently, uh, apparently he does, and it's a huge hit. So what's your passion? This is what we're going to talk about this morning. What are you, in the dictionary, it says this about passion. It says, it says it's something you're excited about or you're enthusiastic about, right? And today we're going to talk about work, your vocation. So are you excited about your work? Do you have passion about your work? This is what we're going to talk about this morning. Before we do that, we're going to do something fun, okay? We have these T-shirts. Throw me just one more, Pandela. Give me a, uh, okay, excellent. All right. We're going to ask you a couple questions. Uh, recently, a study came out. I think Washingtonian did this. Number one place in Washington, D.C. to work. Number one company. What's the number one company? Does anybody want to? Even if you get the industry right, I'll give you credit for it. But does anybody have any idea? Washingtonian Magazine did this thing. There's so many places you can work here in D.C. What's the number one place? Anybody want to venture a guess? I'm going to throw a... Starbucks. Costco. Okay. All right. Government. All right. I'm going to give you a hint since no one's coming close. Okay. It's a big construction company. Clark. No. Starts with H. Hit. Who said it? Okay. All right. Here we go. Here we go. There we go. Enjoy. Fantastic. All right. Here's the second one. What is the most sought after vocation in the United States of America? Most sought after vocation you know, area to work in. A few years ago it was forensic accounting. Anybody want to give a stab at what it is now? Huh? Teaching, teaching, but I haven't heard it. Has to do with computers. Data scientists, data scientists, number one vocation. Anybody come close? Anybody come close? I see the hand over there. Boy, okay, here we go. I don't know if I can get it all the way there. Oh, look at that. That's a great, that's a great catch. All right, according to Forbes magazine, tell me two. Oh, yeah, but these are both, both girls' shirts. These are girls' shirts. Okay. Uh... 
According to Forbes, what is the number one way, the number one way to get your dream job? How do you go about getting a dream? What's the number one way to do it? Huh? Okay, a lot of networking. All right, so who said networking? And it's got to be a, it's got to be a girl. No, you said you don't, even, you don't want the t-shirt. You don't want the t-shirt. Okay, all right, all right, all right. Who said it? Okay, here we go. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? Girls? Girls? Oh my gosh, I'm going to need a cutoff person, Mary. I'm going to throw it to you halfway, you throw it the rest of the way. Man, look at that, that's fantastic. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Uh, anybody wants a t-shirt, we have some more out in the lobby. You can pick them, you can pick them up out there. Right. What do you have a passion for? What do you have excitement? What, do you, what, what are you enthusiastic about in, in, in terms of your vocation? You know, the word vocation is from a Latin word that means calling. God has a calling on all of our lives. Have you figured out what that calling is? Are you working down that path towards what's going to lead you, know, you toward what God wants for you? Your calling. Are you enthusiastic about it? Have you found your passion? That's what we want to hone in on this morning. First of all, I want to back up a second. I want to show you a slide here. Uh, maybe it's going to help us to understand a little bit about what's going on in the book of Ecclesiastes. An amazing book. I've said this before. There's no other book like it. In the entire Bible, it is completely unique. So here's the things uh, to think about. He keeps talking about under the sun. Over and over, he's under the sun. I think what's causing confusion, we think, wait a minute, you know, there's God. Why is he saying these things? But there's God. Of course there's meaning. Okay, remember, he's coming from the viewpoint of under the sun. There's nothing above the sun. He's a skeptic. There's nothing above the sun. God might not, exist, might not exist. He sometimes is, maybe he doesn't exist at all. So under the sun, and he says under the sun, everything is meaningless, momentary, and miserable. This is why I keep saying meaningless, meaningless over and over and over again, because there's nothing above the sun. And every now and then, for just a brief second, he hints at something being above the sun. And when there is, he says there's purpose and passion and permanence. You have to understand these two. Uh, something else. And I started to talk about it last week. He puts on all these sets. He's like doing a one-person play, right? He's one actor in this play playing all kinds of different roles. So he puts on the hat. He says, you know what? I'm this great king and I have everything and I realize it's all meaningless. And then next second he says, you know what? Uh, I, I'm going to be a builder. I'm building all kinds of stuff, right? houses and bridges and lamel, all this kind of stuff. And he takes that hat off and he says, you know, I'm, I'm really rich and I'm into possessions. I got a big yacht and a Ferrari and all these things. So he's putting all these different hats on for us and he keeps saying it's all meaningless. And then, and then for a second, he takes all the hats off and he like, he peeks out at us and he says, but there's a God, all right? But what if there's a God? And this is what he does in the scripture that we read today for just a moment, like it lasts for a verse and a half. And what does he say when he peeks out? He says these words, right? Then I realize that these pleasures are from what? The hand of God. Well, I thought, I thought God didn't exist. He says, they're from the hand of God. They actually do exist for who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him. And this next line is what I want to talk about this morning. He says, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. So this wisdom thing that he's talking about here sets in motion us moving towards joy, which is the strong feeling like passion of hap intense happiness and joy and meaningfulness in life. What puts it in motion? Wisdom puts it in motion. So two things we're going to try to accomplish today. Very simple. What is wisdom? What is it? How do I get it? What is it? How do I get it? So here we go. Book of Proverbs is the go-to book in the entire Bible on the subject of wisdom. And it helps us to understand, to define 
What exactly is this thing that we call wisdom? Here's what it says. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. For gaining wisdom and instructions, how the whole book begins. For understanding words of, notice this, insight. Here's the one word we're going to focus on. For receiving instruction in prudent behavior. There's the second word we're going to focus on. These are synonyms that help us understand to define what this thing called wisdom really is. So in Hebrew, the word insight means this. It's really important. Because it will affect our lives, it will affect as we move forward the path that we're going down to navigate life really well. That's what wisdom is. So here's what the word insight means. To notice differences. To see fine distinctions. That's what wisdom, that's what insight means. That's what wisdom means. To notice differences and to see fine distinctions. Let me put it this way again. It's like a great detective. I walk into a crime scene. And I see one clue. Uh, something's missing. <laughs> I see nothing else, right? A great detective walks into a crime scene. He sees 50 different clues. He sees all the distinctions. He sees these clues. He can see things. Somebody with great wisdom has great insight, and they can see lots and lots of things, even subtle differences, like a Sherlock Holmes. They pick up all of these subtle differences that are there. Wisdom allows a person to see more. Also allows them not only just to look around and see all the clues that are going on, but it allows them to see many more options. How many times have you said or have you heard somebody say, you know what, there's only really one thing I can do given the circumstance that I'm in right now. This is one thing I can do. A person with great wisdom, with great insight, looks at the same situation and says, no, actually, that's not true. There's like 10 things that you can do. And actually, three of them are very good options for you. So here I am thinking, I only have one option. A person with great wisdom, insight, says you have a lot of options. A person with wisdom can imagine lots and lots of options. So they see all the clues. They see all the subtle differences of life. And they see what all the options could be moving forward. It's very, very important. You've heard about hindsight. Hindsight is what? 2020, exactly. The word hindsight by definition means this, the recognition of realities. It's really important because somebody who does not have wisdom or somebody that we might call a fool is somebody who lives outside of the realm of reality. So it's interesting that hindsight, it says, the recognition of realities after the occurrence. What we want to talk about this morning is actually foresight. It would be great to see realities before they happen so we don't have to suffer all the problem. Wouldn't that be awesome? This is what we want. So the first thing it says, it says it's insight. Here's the second word it gives. The second synonym to wisdom is a prudent life. What does the word prudent mean in Hebrew? It means somebody who is strategic. It means somebody who is very, very practical. Insight shows you all the clues. That's what insight does. So you look at all the clues. To be a person of prudence, to be strategic or practical means now you know what to do with the clues. Just because somebody sees all the clues, just because somebody sees things and is really smart and has a lot of knowledge doesn't necessarily mean they know what to do with the knowledge. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay? So a person of wisdom has both insight and prudence. Not only do they see things, but now they know what to do. They know the game plan. They know the strategy of how then to move forward. Wisdom helps us to navigate life and navigate it really well. It has been said that we live in a culture of choices, that we have more options for us than anybody before. And as a little kid growing up, there was only like two or three different combo meals that you could get at McDonald's, right? Now there's about 54 of them. Well, the same thing exists when it comes, it comes to work. We have so many options. There's so many places to go to school. There's so many degrees to get. There's so many companies to work for. Now, there have been times 
right? In our country, when you grew up, there was like one place to work and you were happy to have that job, right? In D.C., there are so many jobs, it's freaking us out. It's stressing us out because there's so many different degrees and so many different jobs. How do I choose really well so I can find my passion? So you find that some people are kind of frozen, like, I don't know what to do, so I'm going to do nothing at all. Do you know what I'm saying? It's a big problem. Wisdom helps us to navigate life very, very well. The Bible, everybody, is a book of morals. The issue with this is about 80% of the choices we have to make day-to-day have nothing to do with morality. In other words, let's put it this way. You could get a graduate degree in A, B, or C, right? There's probably hundreds of different graduate degrees you could get. You're trying to decide which one. How is the Bible going to help you make the right decision on what graduate degree you get? Because if you get the right graduate degree, you might be really, really happy. If you get the wrong one, you might be really, really miserable, waste a bunch of money and time. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, how's the Bible going to help you? Because none of the degrees are a sin. It's not a moral decision. How about a job? You got thousand different jobs laid out before you. How are you going to decide which one? It's not a moral decision. Any of them. Unless somebody says, hey, I want you to be a hitman for the mob. Hey. And at that point, you don't even, you say, okay, I don't even have to pray about that one. I, have to pray, I don't have to, I already know that's wrong, right? But unless you're being offered that job, okay? Just to say that you're not being offered that job, where are you going to get help from? Where you're going to get help from in a culture of so many choices to navigate life really well is through wisdom. It's going to see the subtle differences, and it's going to help you put together strategically and practically how you navigate life. When you turn right, when you turn left, it's going to help you go down this path very, very well. Now, I want to show you one of these subtle differences. This is so, this is so important. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. This This can be very confusing. Let's see if we can take some of the confusion out of it. Look what this says. I'm going to read it. You tell me if you notice a problem, all right? Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Do you see a problem with those two back-to-back verses? Anybody notice something there? Anybody noticing the why? The, the, anybody have wisdom? See the subtle differences over there? What is, which one is it? <laughs> They're back-to-back verses. Do we speak or do we not speak? Do we act or do we not act? Which one is it? Because they just told us two polar opposites. Here's, here's everybody. Here, everybody, why wisdom is so incredible. Because what wisdom does, it notices all the subtle differences, and it will help you during times when you should speak and when you shouldn't speak when you should act and when you shouldn't act. Wouldn't that be a great thing to have? If you had a time, you said, I should have said something. I had a time, I should have never said anything. Okay, let me talk to husbands for just a second. All right, so you sit next to husband, elbow, wake him up. He's going to want to hear this. I'm going to give you two days. All right, here goes day one. Day one, you walk in the house. You know, honey, I'm home. How was your day? She says, bad day bad day. Oh, honey, come here. Oh, I'm so sorry. I love you. It's going to be okay. I'm here for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. That's so sweet of you. Stay one. Think two. Honey, I'm home. How was your day? It is a bad day. Oh, honey, let me like, get off me. What do you think? You think you can make me? Are you so arrogant that you think you can make me feel better just by giving me a hug and a kiss? Are you kidding me? What are you doing? 
I don't have any personal experience with this, but <laughs> the two days look just alike. They're do, but they were nothing alike. Any wives in the house know what I'm talking about? Any wives? Any, okay. They're nothing alike. You thought because you didn't have wisdom. If you're a husband, wouldn't it be great to have wisdom? Wouldn't it be great to know when to speak and when to shut up and listen? Wouldn't that be awesome to know when to fix and when to just not fix? When to come in riding on your, your white horse and when just to sit there and say, I'm just here for you. I'm listening. Wisdom would be an awesome, awesome thing to have. All right. How do we get wisdom? How do we get it? So there's what it is. It notices all the subtle differences. It's like a detective seeing all the clues. How do I get my hands on wisdom? All right. Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now that verse and a lot of variations of it are all throughout the Bible. It's very clear that this is the foundation for wisdom and knowledge is the fear of God. Why would that be? Why would it be fear? Because when I read that verse, that doesn't seem like a good thing to me. That seems problematic to me. Why would I want to have fear? All right. The starting point for wisdom is to have a correct view of God. How do we get that correct view of God? Studies show this, that the number one catalyst for your spiritual growth, this is very extensive studies. This covers a really broad range of people. The number one catalyst for your spiritual growth is reading the Bible. Why would that be? Because as you read the Bible, you get a very balanced and correct view of God as you begin to dig in. If not, you catch these little glimpses that are out of balance. And so to have the fear of God means you have a correct view of God, and it leads you towards wisdom. Wisdom. All right, there are two types of fear in the Bible. There's a negative fear. There's a positive fear. Here's the negative fear. All right. I don't want to do you wrong or I obey you because I don't want you to hurt me. That's the negative fear. Right? People are afraid of other people because they don't want to get hurt, whether that's verbal or even physical. So somebody is saying, yeah, I fear God because unless I obey God, he's going to get me. And I don't want any part of that. Right? That's negative. Here's, here's the positive part of fear. Positive part of fear is, is I fear you because, and I obey you because I don't want me to hurt you. So the location of the pain switch from me to God or from me to the other person. Now, let's say this. I feel like we have to deal with this real quick. There are some people who have a third option, and that is they believe that, you know, God just loves us and nothing really matters as long as we're being nice, whatever we consider nice, as long as we attach kind of meaning to whatever we're doing and we're, we're doing our own thing, that morality really doesn't matter. Like God was just bored one Wednesday afternoon and he decided to write the Ten Commandments. When actually that's not the case. Morals matter. The rules matter. God wasn't bored one day and wrote up the Bible and said, hey, do all this stuff, and then said, ah, I was just joking. Do whatever you want. Be happy. That wouldn't make a bit of sense. That's not a loving parent. Let me, let me put it to you this way. When I was a kid, I grew up right down the street from here, George Mason Drive, right, near Columbia Pike and George Mason Drive. It's a very busy street. We used to, as kids, oh, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, we would go out there at night after the sun goes down, busy street, and we would lay down in the middle of the street. Okay, and we would see who could stay. And I hope there's no kids in the room. Okay, I hope we would see who could lay in the street the longest before the car came. It's very exhilarating. Okay, we love doing this. 
This was great. Now, uh, do you think my parents would be okay with that if they heard that I was doing that? Laying in the middle of the street with cars coming at 50 miles an hour? Who would say that my parents, if they knew about it, they're like, ah, you like it, go ahead, keep doing it. That's okay. I might kill you, but it's okay. Keep doing it. It's all good. No, no one would say that. Well, we have a parent in the sky, God Almighty. And there's certain rules. And he's not like, oh, go ahead, put yourself in danger, because really breaking his rules is that's what it's all about. This would mean living outside of reality. And to live outside of reality is somebody who's living, according to the definition of Scripture, a foolish life. So the rules, rules really, really matter. That's what I'm trying to say. And it's kind of crazy to say that God doesn't care. It'd be like my parents saying, I don't care. Lay down in the middle of George Mason Drive. If you get hit, fine. You don't get hit, whatever. But just do whatever makes you happy. That doesn't make a bit of sense. Doesn't make a bit of sense. All right? So rules matter. So here's the positive side of things, is that the rules matter a whole lot, and God is unconditionally committed to rules. And as a matter of fact, Jesus even says you have to be perfect. So he's totally committed to the rules, and at the same time, he's totally committed to us. And we can't keep the rules. We keep breaking the rules. And we would be foolish. We'd be living outside of reality to think that we could. So how do you marry these two things together? Well, the Bible says there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. It says that Jesus Christ will never leave us or forsake us, that he'll always be with us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. It's to catch a glimpse of a God who is holy and perfect and that the rules really matter and yet at the same time, he's totally committed to us. Here's the Proverbs 1.7 in the Amplified Version. This was this. The reverent fear of the Lord, that is worshiping him and regarding him as truly awesome, is the beginning and the preeminent part of knowledge, its starting point and its very essence. I want to see if I can illustrate this two different ways. We have two different views of God, right? It seemed to be very, very strong. Right? And the one view is this. I obey God because if I don't obey God, man, he's coming at me with the bat. I mean, he's just going to, right? He's going to hurt me. Where, who's getting hurt? Who's getting hurt? You can answer. Us. Right. Us. So really, I'm afraid for me. I'm afraid that I'm going to get hurt, that God's going to take the bat to me. He's going to hurt me. That's, that's negative fear in the Bible. Here's positive fear. Positive fear is, is I look at Jesus Christ on the cross. I say, you know what? In negative fear, I obey because I'm afraid of me getting hurt. In positive fear, I obey because I'm so in awe of God. I love and respect God so much, and I'm afraid of God getting hurt. It's a radical difference. Why would we obey the rules? Why would we even try to obey the rules? Are we obeying the rules because we're afraid God's going to take out the big bat on us? What view do you have of God? Is God a bat to you or is the cross? You know what's interesting? If you look up the word passion, I gave you the first definition earlier, right on the dictionary. You can Google it. Not now, later. <laughs> and the first definition is something that you're enthusiastic and excited about. You know what definition number two is? Passion? The suffering and death of Jesus Christ. Even the dictionary is telling us the story of Jesus. Why do I obey? I obey. Look, I don't, I don't act loving and kind toward my wife because I'm afraid she's going to beat me up. Although, <laughs> you know why I love and respect my wife and try to, 
try to please her or do the thing, right? I don't want to hurt her. I don't want to disappoint her. We've been talking about John Rockefeller, you know, for the past couple weeks. Just because we're talking so much about accumulating money and accumulating possessions and finding meaning by reaching a great status, and he was the richest guy that ever lived. He was a hard driver with high, high standards. He's a hard driver. You don't cross him. Mean, he did things. He did things right. He really did things right. When his son graduated from college, he went to work for his dad, and he was in fear, like quaking, trembling before his father because his father had come from nothing to being fabulously wealthy. Well, his son uh, did a deal, a stock deal, and he lost a fortune, $17 million, and he couldn't cover the debt. And you know what he had to do? He had to go talk to Dad, John Sr. This is John Jr. John Jr. had to go talk to Sr. and tell him. And he went into that meeting sweating, shaking, trembling, knowing that his dad had this huge high standard. He explained the situation to him, and here was Sr.'s response. Okay, John, I'll take care of it. Junior walked out from that point on wasn't that he was worried that if his dad was ever going to hurt him. All he wanted to do was never disappoint his father and hurt his father by his actions. Do you understand the difference here? Do you know that God has super high standards, that Jesus Christ calls us to perfection, and yet he would never hurt us? He is not the baseball bat. Jesus Christ is the cross. Which God do you serve? Because there's one that is a correct view and one that is an incorrect view. And when we have the correct view of God, it is the starting place of wisdom. Very, very important. Okay. What is the classic definition of somebody who does not have wisdom in the Scripture? This says it over and over again. I'm going to read it to you. There's just one of these places. That there's, there's many more. Do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for them than a fool. Did you catch that? A person who is wise in their eyes. In other words, a person who does not have does not have wisdom, a person who is acting foolishly, does not have a community of counselors around them, they're kind of on their own. Either A, they're on their own, or B, they're just kind of surrounded by people who just say yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, okay, whatever. People who don't give them a different perspective and people who don't challenge them. If you want wisdom, you have to have A, a correct view of God, and B, a community of wise counselors around you. I want to go back to the notebook again. I pray that God would surround me. I write it in the notebook. God, please, I want to be a person of wisdom. I want to navigate life really well. Would you please kindly surround me with people who are wise counselors? Because when we're around people who aren't, either when A, we're on our own, or B, we don't have the perspective of other people, we cannot, cannot act with wisdom. How do you get wisdom? You pray, you read your Bible, you get a correct view of it. That's all spiritual part. Here's your practical part. Do you have people around you or are you on your own? Because the classic definition of somebody who does not have wisdom is somebody who is wise in their own eyes, not getting perspective of other people. Getting other people's perspective is great. It's also challenging. It's also very, very frustrating, isn't it? But it makes us much better people. My wife and I are very, very different. Very different. We have two different perspectives. And it's extremely frustrating for both of us at times. But here's the bottom line. 
It's made me a far better person. And I would even say it's made me a better pastor. Although it's been very frustrating at times. But if I want to be a person who has wisdom, I have to be brave enough to face down the frustrations. I have to be brave enough to deal with perspectives that, oh, I just want my way, right? I have to be able to be brave enough to listen to other people's perspectives and deal with that and be changed by that so I can be wise because I don't want to be a fool who is wise in my own eyes. I want to be a person of wisdom and this is how it comes. Okay, Job chapter 8, wonderful verses here. I want you to think about the implications of these verses. And though you started with little, you would end with much. Read the history books and see. For we were born but yesterday and know so little. Our days here on earth are as transient as the shadows, but the wisdom of the past will teach you. Check this out. The experience of others will speak to you. What kind of people do you want around you? You want people who are wise. Let me give you something else to think about when you have people around you. You want people who have more experience than you, both by terms of their age and by maybe they've just done a whole lot more than you. Talk to our kids about this all the time. I see my kids going through something, and they're like, hey, I know what's going to happen to you next. And I'm like, what do, you, what do you think, you're God? You know what's going to happen to me next? No, I've been on the planet a lot longer than you have. Right? I just happen to have been on the planet. Music team's going to come out in a moment. They're going to sing a song for us about being brave. And here's the reason why. Some of us need to really be brave this morning in order to have wisdom. Some of us need to be brave enough to change our attitudes, to change our priorities, to change kind of doing things on our own, need brave enough to be, listen to the perspective of other people. Some of us need to change our jobs our habits, our lifestyles. We want to navigate life, navigate well, be people of passion, do something. God has a calling on your life, vocation, calling. He has a calling for you. And we will have to show bravery in order to step into that calling of what God has for us. You think about this room here, right? My perspective in this room is very limited. Like if I really want to know what's going on in this entire room, I would need your help because I can't see stuff. I don't see what you're doing behind the seats. Right? I don't know that. I can't see what's happening in every corner. I need everybody's perspective to actually live inside the reality of what's happening in this room. Does this make sense? If I want to know the reality of what's happening in this room, it's going to take all of us for me to understand what that is. I need other people, and I need their perspective in order to figure it out. Have you ever seen yourself on video before? Anybody ever seen yourself on a video before? Did you look at that and say... That's not me. You know what I'm saying? I should, and I don't, but I should watch the videotape of this every week. I should. If I was smart, I would do it. But it's so depressing. <laughs> like, why don't I just shut up? You know, that's what I think to myself. This is terrible. You know? Do I really look that way? Does my voice sound like that? Krista, does I, do I look and sound that way? Is it? Yes. That's reality. See, we live outside of our own reality, right? We have to have the help of other people to enter into reality. And entering into reality is where wisdom begins, a correct view of God. We need help from other people. Listen, next week, we're going to talk about strengths. This is so important. God has given you strengths. He wants to use your strength. He's calling you to use your strength. It's wonderful. 
I'm going to talk about a story. I'm talking about uh, next week about Mark Twain a little bit. There's this, this story that Mark Twain used to tell all the time. He says, you know, he went up to heaven. This guy went up to heaven and he sees St. Peter at the pearly gates. And he says to him, he says to St. Peter, hey, St. Peter, I've been a huge fan of military history all my life. I need you to tell me through the history of the world who is the greatest general to ever live. And St. Peter says, that's easy. That's that guy right over there. And the guy says to him, he says, I know that guy. He's not a general. What are you talking about? He says, I know he's not a general, but he could have been the greatest general who ever lived. God has put a strength inside of you. Are you using your strength? Are you using the full of the potential that's God's putting out? We're going to talk a lot about that next week. But before we get started, I've got to encourage you with this. Wisdom. Wisdom. Here's my last scripture verse, Exodus 31. It's very important. There's a guy, and God wanted him to do a very special job, a vocation, a calling. And God says that he had equipped him through the power of the Holy Spirit to be a person of wisdom to do his job really well, and he did his job really well. This morning, our prayer team is going to be on this wall in a moment. We're going to stand up. We're going to sing in a second about being brave. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage everybody this week to pray for wisdom, to pray for a community of counselors around you, even if their perspective irritates you, to be brave, to be brave, and to do that, that you might navigate life really well. I want to encourage you. Some of the prayer team I asked in this past week, would you pray with me all week about this? that God would impart wisdom to us. Some of you have some big decisions to make about school, about life, about work, about where to live, about what to do. God wants to help us, but we're going to have to have a lot of bravery in order to follow God's path, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for this incredible thing that you tell us is at an abundant supply for us, wisdom to navigate life well. Lord, help us to be filled with your wisdom, to understand who you are and surround us, God, with people who give us perspective that take us down your path, a path that leads us to a meaningful, meaningful life. I thank you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.